It's time once again to come together and listen to the smooth, sweet, uncomprehensible sounds of J.P. Cervantes and the crew of VTSR as we talk to veterans and partners and spouses and anybody in the industry as they transition or support each other and do things. It's now time to VTSR. All right, everybody, welcome back to VTSR, Veterans Transition Support Recon Show, and we're here with Nate and Teresa, which we're going to introduce in a bit, so everybody calm down. I know you want to hear about our new guests, so chill. Uh, right now, I just want to talk to Nate about all the craziness happening in Ukraine. Have you seen everything going on in the news, Nate? Oh, my goodness, it's amazing. I keep getting these emails that the uh, Ukrainian mail-order brides are half off. That was a joke, guys. Laugh. Come on. No, no but it, but but in seriousness, you know, it's funny because yes. uh, I was why you know I don't watch CNN, but somebody posted a clip on uh, Twitter about CNN, and uh, it's funny because CNN is super happy. They're 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 telling people, you see how great the government of Ukraine is giving rifles to their citizens so they can defend. And like, I'm like CNN, you're the same one saying that we don't need 15 round mags or 30 round mags. We only need one round. It's like, <laughs> and now you're over there saying, yeah, give automatic rifles to all of the citizens so they can defend their country. That's exactly why we keep ours. <laughs> And in Canada, we're not even allowed to have anything that looks like a scary gun that would have more than five rounds in a rifle. So, you know, we don't need that. We don't need to defend borders because why in the world, JP, do citizens need guns, right? And who has ever heard of protecting a border? What is that about? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. You know, it's crazy because uh, I've seen a lot of, I mean, I, I'm monitoring Twitter like a hawk, right? So. Yeah. In Twitter, people are saying we, you know, they they have the right to defend their border and doing this. I'm like, I'm like, hold on, and you the one that posted like a year ago that we should have open borders that everybody should come across from Mexico. I'm like, I mean, make up your mind, you know. And then uh, there's people posting, hey, uh, there are volunteers going to Ukraine to join them, uh, you know, join the fight, yeah. and they're allowed. Like the prime minister is like, you want to come and help. You freaking come in. Yeah. All right. We'll give you a rifle. And I go like, I mean, nothing against the people from Ukraine because I feel for them, you know, with everything that is going on. I mean, they were just chilling and all of a sudden they started getting bombed, you know. But, yes. But uh, shit, man. It's like now if you tell me grab your rifle, JP, we got to go and protect the southern border. We're getting overrun. That's different, you know. Uh, but going all the way to Ukraine, it's like, man, we can't even protect our own border. <laughs> why would I jump in an airplane and go to Ukraine, man? You know, damn. Yeah, it, it's messed up. Like I've had a bunch of messages all day too as well. And I'm sure you have similar ones where people are like, hey, do you know where anybody is contracting out there? And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. But here's the thing, touching back to what you said about these people are like, oh, the world should be an open place and everybody should be able to travel everywhere. And then they're like, but, but that's not right that these people are coming across this border. And it's like, well, you really have to pick a side of the fence that you want to be on. Get it? Right? <laughs> and on that note, we are canceled. <laughs> no, uh, the funny thing is I normally ask people like that that said, let everybody come in. I'm like, 
you know, we got plenty of space for everyone. I'm like, great. Uh, how many are you uh, housing in your house? Mm -hmm. how, how many of those are you providing shelter to? They're like, oh, in my house. Oh, no, no. That, that, that. It's for my family's safety. I can yeah. do that. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, fuck my family. But, just, you know, let's, it's your family's safety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, awesome. Nate, let's stop rambling and uh, let's get into the reason why we're here tonight because uh, we got an amazing guest tonight. Oh, my God. I was reading about her and I was like, okay, let me read this again. Right. We got to... I, I, I'm going to butcher this name, Teresa Tretbar, or Tretbar, all right? The, the Spanish way, Tretbar. Uh, and she was Hold a deputy, deputy sheriff. Uh, well, she was a deputy sheriff. She was an uh, SRO, which is a school resource officer. Boom, you see, I know that shit. Uh, field training officer. She later became a detective. She went to a different department later. Anyways, she did a lot of great stuff. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Evidence. Uh, collection you name it and now that she's not longer in law enforcement is just like like us she's trying yeah. to she's having a hard time trying to find where to fit and uh feeling that i don't know feeling that feeling that i know what i gotta do i'm serving and all of a sudden shit what yeah. the hell is going on so without further ado let me introduce teresa Threadbar. hey teresa welcome to the show hello hi guys how are you we are doing peachy i mean look look, look at that beautiful nate over there i mean just looking at him make my make the podcast better <laughs> work it work <laughs> it <laughs> <laughs> hey Teresa, please uh, for our listeners can because I read everything about you, but our listeners don't know anything about you. Can you please tell us everything you want to tell us about you, where you're from, where you grew up, all of that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a small town, Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Um, I spent my entire life there until just recently, actually. <clears throat> And I little backstory, I guess, when I was 16, um, I had a I had a child. And uh, my parents kicked me out of the house at 16, pregnant, and uh, made me basically fend for my own at 16. And I think after uh, I had my, my first child, my only child, right before I turned 17, and I think that's when my parents finally realized, like, oh, she, she's not just the typical uh, teen mom. She's going to break the cycle. And, um, so that's kind of how it all started with law enforcement. I, I kind of throughout my younger days, always wanted to like do something, but my sisters and my moms were all nurses and the guys in the family were law enforcement military. And I knew it, then I didn't want to be a nurse. And I, I moved up to Fargo, North Dakota with my daughter, 17 years old, emancipated, living on my own. And my dad shows up with a U-Haul and this was, this was more towards, I was 20. I went to school 17, started college right away, graduated high school, started college, got a degree in paralegal, worked in the law firm, hated it. It's like, this is not what I want to do. Uh, then I just kind of bar hopped. I, I did some night gigs at bars, you know, just serving drinks, having a good time. And when I was 20, almost 21, My dad just shows up in the middle of winter in Fargo, North Dakota, outside my house, banging on my door with a U-Haul. And he said, what's going on? And he says, pack your shit. You're moving home. <laughs> and I said, what? 
like, I, I mean, I got, I got my life up here. He's like, you don't have no damn life up here. You know, you're working at a bar and you're, you're living in housing. Like, what are you doing? Get your shit together. You're going to become a cop. Perfect. You know me better than I know myself. And from that point on, that's where my life took off. Um, my parents did a like total turnaround on on how they viewed me as a person. And I so I had to drive. I lived for so Detroit Lakes, Minnesota is where I ended up moving back to. And the because I already had a two year degree, I only had to do a couple semesters at Alexandria technical college, which is the number one law enforcement academy in the U.S. And uh, so I had to drive an hour and a half one way every day to get to school so that my parents could get my daughter on the bus, get her off the bus. Um, So I did that for the whole semester. My parents were champs, helped me out, uh, graduated, happiest day. I knew, I knew like day two in when I was just trying to run a mile and I couldn't run a mile and I hated it. I was like, man, I'm fat. I'm out of shape, but I still knew I loved it because I had a good team of people around me that were pushing each other. It would just felt, you could feel that, um, that love, that support from people that like weren't even police officers yet, but they, they all had the same goal in mind. And I graduated and today I'm, talking to you guys about all of this because how it all started was uh, when I graduated, I applied for job after job after job and got a few hits here and there, uh, applied at some bigger departments that made it through the process, turned down the position. And for some reason, I was drawn to um, the Sheriff's Department, Monoman County Sheriff's Department, to be specific. It was about 30 miles or so just north of my hometown where I was living and uh, situated on an Indian reservation. And I put in my application resume, didn't hear anything. And I'd sent an email to the sheriff a week later, didn't hear anything. A week later, sent another email to the sheriff, didn't hear anything. Uh, finally got an interview. And I remember I was sitting around the interview panel um, in my suit and getting asked these questions. And I'm very confident. I mean, I knew that I, who I was as a police officer, even though I haven't had my first job, like I knew who I was going to be, how I was going to, how I was going to do my job and uh, get done. Week later, still don't hear anything after this interview. Still, and I I continue to send emails. And finally, uh, one of the deputy sheriffs reaches out to me and says, well, the squeaky wheel gets the grease or what is that saying? Like the squeaky wheel gets the grease or the oil. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. Is is that what it is? And I'm just like, that's it. So I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? And they're like, we're going to hire you, but um, we're going to put you in the school as a school resource officer. And I was like, okay, I mean, whatever. It's a job, right? It's 30 minutes from home. I guess this is how it goes. Is this, is this how it goes? I mean, I don't know. I was, you know, I had other girlfriends that, that were in the academy with me that didn't have jobs. Like, they they stopped looking at this point. And I just kept going after this this one department. For some reason, I was drawn to wanting to work there. 
So I started out as a school resource officer for the first, basically it was the first semester, it was like the winter semester that I started. I did field training on the road, like in the fall with the guys, but then got put into the school. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't even allowed to like do a lot of things when I was on field training because I, things were just weird. They were fucking weird. You could just see like people were just odd about it. And, and I'm, I'm ready to just, I'm ready to pull out my gun. I mean, they're on felony stops and I'm just wanting to be like, you stay in the car, you, you know, you this or that. <laughs> like, wait, what? So I go to the school and I mean, it, it's, it's a good time. It was great to work with the kids. I made, um, I, I made really good friends with the teachers, but not only that, but made a good impact on the students' lives because I wasn't the typical law enforcement officer. And so, um, I mean, I even met a really good friend. She was a senior who ended up being my nanny because I that, that'll come later in the story. But I one of the seniors there ended up being my nanny um, when I was working night shift. So I ended up just doing this whole school resource officer uh for the first semester, then during the spring, they let me out. They, they unleashed me onto the world of Monoman County Sheriff's Office. And that's kind of where things got really good for me. Like, I think back and it was like the happiest time of my career. Um, I still, I did, at this point, I got to do field training officer with, two, uh, field training with the two other officers one who became a dear partner of mine that I still talk to this day. I mean, he was our canine deputy. I mean, he taught me what I needed to know. He was the true um, testament of your what you wanted for a partner um, and a friendship for the rest of your life. So I, I, I ended up working the road there. And by, by the end of my career there, I was doing uh, field training. I was doing all of our background checks. I was working with the drug task force or doing some undercover drug stuff there with them. And man, I just, I, I loved my job. I mean, I just boosted the ground, working night shift every night. Um, just good camaraderie with those guys. So that's kind of how my career started was at Monoma County Sheriff's Office. I think that's where I really found my love. Like I knew, like, this is, this is it. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. So, so yeah. you get started over there in, in Minnesota. Uh, now, I got a question for you. You were uh, near the in Indian Reservation, but were you uh, like a reservation, consider a reservation police or no, you were separate? No. So uh, this reservation was separate. They had tribal police uh, that enforced tribal areas. They, they really did the entire county, uh, but then they had county that, a county police deputy sheriffs that did the entire county so we kind of overlapped each other and and worked together okay and were they pretty good at working together because you know a lot of times you see them on, on on movies and stuff like that that the tribal police don't get along because you're an outsider outside police departments but uh, did they work pretty well together uh, um the To pick, you can pick and choose which officers worked really well, and you have ones that just didn't show up. I mean, you could be in a gun battle, and they're just like, "Meh, I'm not gonna go." So, yeah, it, it just depends. It depends on the the relationship you have with them, how they thought of you. Um, but for the most part, I would say majority of them that I worked night shift with, I had no, I had no problem with. Okay, good, good. So you get started there, and then uh, later on. 
you move to a different police department, right? You go to Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. So, so I, you were in the cold and moved colder. <laughs> yes. So I, um, back in the day, I got married to a military man and he was deployed overseas or being deployed at the time. Oh, we're so sorry about that. Yeah. And he, he, um, was gone. And I said, well, I am moving. I am going to head up to Alaska. That's where he was stationed at. So that when he gets back, I'm there. So I started looking for jobs and I uh, went into a police department there. And just as a, just as a road tone, I was just working the road. And a few months in, I got asked, you know, I was strongly encouraged. This is how it went down. We strongly encourage you to uh, take the detective <laughs> test. And I said, well, no, I'm so new here. You know, all these guys. And I was the only female at this particular department. And I'm like, oh, all these guys. And I heard them kind of chit-chatting behind. You know, we've taken this test multiple times. We haven't been able to get in. And, you know, normally you have to be at the department for a year. These are the whisperings you'd hear. And I'm going to have to be at the department. And then this fucking chick comes in here. And they're going to they're gonna break the rules. <laughs> So I studied. I mean, I, I didn't know. I mean, I was just so new to Alaska to be with. I still had to learn the law. So I had to learn all of the different crimes and, you know, what you do this, this is what happens and all you, everything to this. And I'm like, this is a lot to learn, but I'm going to do it. I ended up doing it. I, I passed the detective's test and got offered an interview. Nice. So, and that's like, Becoming um, a detective for me was, I was so proud because when I worked at the sheriff's office, I enjoyed like doing um, drug work and putting the pieces to the, like the puzzles together. I enjoyed finding, um, you know, this happens and just getting it all put together or like sex assaults or um, anything like that. I loved like car accidents that I could get out and like stand back and look at different things to see how does it all fit together and where am I going to go? Who did this? What do I need to do to get an arrest? So when I became detective, I knew like this was the job for me. And I have, um, I had the best, the best uh, lieutenant at the time who um, took me under his wing and uh, Mike Beckner is his name. And he was actually at my wedding this last December. So still friends with him to this day, but he took me under his wing and, um, just showed me everything, encouraged me. He's like, you know, boost up your confidence. You know what you're doing. You just need to stop worrying about what everybody else thinks about you and this and that. And anytime I'd get a case and I'd, I'd run into a snag, um, I could ask him or he would be like on the sidelines. Like if he was working day shift or something, he'd be on the sidelines reading my reports and then he'd hit me up and he'd be like, no, 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 that's, you know, this is where you should be going. I see where you want to go, but this is where you should be going. And then he'd help me like see the bigger picture to what was actually happening in my cases and getting me to think outside the box. Um, loved it. Let's end the stigma attached to PTS. Let's walk it out. A 222-mile rock march dedicated to suicide prevention starts March 31st in Fayetteville. Register to march or donate today. Text 222-NC to 41444 or visit letswalkitout.org. And then I just started uh, after that, like during the same time, I guess I was, I got offered to do a, um, a training. So uh, rad training, rape, aggression, defense training for it's a women's only training. 
and uh, they wanted to teach it on the campus. So I flew down to Florida, got trained up for that uh, with another officer, and we started teaching on campus there to women uh, once a month, once every month and a half, and we'd start teaching those uh, rape aggression defense. Loved it because the women are like, man, this is great. We have another woman teaching us. It's not a man teaching us. And I, I love that kind of stuff. I love teaching and I love just inspiring women, especially younger girls to be like, you know, if, you know, I can fuck up in my life like she did. And, you know, cause I, I say I, I fucked up when I was 16, but I have a beautiful daughter now, but it all kind of came full circle, but they're like, man, I can make those kind of fuck ups and still be somebody. I can look at her, look at her. And so I enjoyed that. I did that. And then the military base got wind um of me teaching these classes and i remember a couple times i would i was teaching class and i could see somebody in uniform looking in through the door and so we'd have to like go prop up uh big mats so we didn't want people looking to see how we were training the women and all of a sudden they're just like hey no we're with the military and i said you need to reach out you know to my chief of police you know we can't have you guys watching and so they reached out and they're like hey we we got wind through through the grapevine that you have this woman that's teaching this rape aggression defense. We hear it's a ton, you know, it's, it's the rave and we want to learn more about it. Would, can we set up a meeting with her? And so they set up a meeting with me and they just said, Hey, we love your energy. We, we love what you're doing for the community, for the, the people on campus, the women, would you be interested in teaching on base all of our female soldiers? And I said, well, absolutely. And so I went and taught a class. I got the rest of the guys from the department because it takes more than one to go into uh, the base, uh, Air Force Base. And they brought in everybody and they were hyped because they're like the women after the class and during the class and during the breaks are like, thank you so much. Like, I don't know what you were doing to get your to to get these guys to bring you in. But we've been saying for years that we've needed this in our life because we can't fight like men. We, we can't. We are built different. Our, our power comes from our hips, not our, not our shoulders. And it's so nice to see a woman like being able to full-fledged fight her way off of a man. And he wasn't given, you know, and the men aren't giving in on me. Like they're going, like they want to fight me. And, and like, it's so nice. It's so empowering. And so I got to teach that and I did that for a couple sessions. And then the military, finally, they got such good reviews from every, all the women that have uh, took the class that they actually flew their own soldiers down to get um, trained up in it and brought back to start teaching on the Air Force base up there. Uh, I'm not sure where they're at to this day. It's been a few years now. I haven't kept in touch with any of like the Air Force people but I'd be curious to see if like they've still kept up the training and their how the women are doing. That, that's pretty interesting, you know, uh, the, especially with the military. A, a lot of people don't understand not only the soldiers themselves, but their family members, right? We, uh, I tell people all the time, we get trained, we go to the range, we know how to shoot, we know hand-to-hand -hand combat, self-defense, all that good stuff. Uh, so a lot of times when people go like, oh, your house is safe, we go like, oh, yeah, oh, there's some mofo try to call me my house. But what about when you're deployed? 
is is your wife trained that can she shoot can she defend herself can she fight back your daughter if she's a teenager or whatever does she knows how to fight fight back or at least try to get away to uh, look for help does she know does she know how to set up a safe room i mean things like that people don't understand it's like i don't care how badass you are you're not in your house 24/7 at some point your family is alone you know so Yeah, so that's interesting that they did that, and I'm glad they did. Uh, I got a question for you. Uh, you well, first of all, let, let me just say something. You were talking about your mentor, that that one detective that really taught you everything you needed to to know. That that's good to know. And the reason is, uh, I see a lot with uh, law enforcement. I see it in the military as well, but it's not as bad, I think. Uh, but I see it a lot in law enforcement where you people feel intimidated by newcomers, right? So if I'm if I'm there and I've been the detective that's been around for a while, or maybe I'm the captain that's been around for a while, and I see you, Teresa or Nate, coming in, and within your first year in the department, you guys are shining. I'm like, man, uh, I, I'm the star, man. If I teach Nate or Teresa everything they need to know. Uh, pretty soon, everybody's going to be looking at them. I'm going to be obsolete. And I see a lot of that, a lot of holding that, you know, the plank. They're like, this is mine and nobody else is going to have it. So seeing that some or, or knowing that somebody was like that, was willing to talk, teach you everything that you need to know is really good because a lot of people don't understand this. It's like at some point, whether you like it or not, you're going to be gone. So might as well train all those people below you or the newest ones so that when you're gone, they not only do a good job, but they do a better job than you did. Because that should be the goal. I have guys that were in my team as E5s and E6. Uh, and at that, at that point, I was already a warrant officer, right? So I was enlisted, then I went warrant officer. So I was the commander on, of a team. And I had guys that were in my team that later that they, later on I signed their warrant officer packets for them to become warrant officer. And guess what? One of them just made the CW4 list. I retired as a CW3. He's now a CW4. I'm like, hell yeah. And people go like, don't you feel weird that like he got more rank that you do? I'm like, no, I'm so freaking proud. I mean, I, I hope he made five. You know, it's like, shit. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people hold that. They, they want to be on the top forever. And if the way I look at it is my success is based on how many people can I make better and make them better than me. If they become better than me, then that was success for me. Yes. And that goes with what we said in the last episode too, of the, that standing on the backs of giants and that legacy and, you know, passing on that information. Um, the one guy who instilled that into me when I was a young private was um, Mark Leger. And he, you know, got killed over in Afghanistan there. But for the, the time that I had him as a mentor from battle school and then a couple of years in the battalion, I remember um, touching on what Teresa was saying earlier too. I was taken from the, Uh, rifle company and I was put in the admin company as an ambulance driver with two other uh, corporals and I was a young private. And I'm like, this is bullshit. I don't want to be here. I want to be with the guys. I don't want to be driving these ambulances. I don't want to learn the medical shit. Screw this. This is garbage. And Mark took me aside and he's like, dude, you have an opportunity. 
you know, and I'm like, ah, whatever. I don't really understand it. It's, it's, I was still like, man, I don't want to do this. I want to be one of the guys on the ground. I want to be one of the guns. Right. And then the other guys looked at me and they're like, listen, you're a private working with senior corporals. Have you figured it out yet? And I'm like, no, this is stupid. And, you know, I'm like kicking the dirt and dragging my teddy bear and pouting my stuff. And they're like, listen, dude, you are in a senior position that normally is manned by higher ranks. And I'm like, oh, and they're like, learn everything around you and master it and then take that with you further down the career. And it was interesting because uh, when JP's saying here about the, the police world and stuff like that, and I see it all the time in different things where mentors will only give you just enough of help to keep you on the hook. And then there's mentors that are like, oh yeah, I'm going to give you everything. And then there's guys that will give you, now I use the term guys loosely because whatever, um, but they'll give you enough misinformation. And I remember I, I was I was under the ambulances. We started them up every morning. And here's the situation. Every morning we had to start them up before the battalion did anything because they're out doing PT or whatever. We were the first line of defense in the battalion for medical emergencies and anything. So I'm out there at 6.30 in the morning. I'm under the vehicles, checking the oil, doing all this stuff. And I'm doing all my good stuff and I get dirt on my boots because I'm under the ambulance. Okay. So I walk in and this freaking guy comes up to me. We butted heads a lot over the year. Anyways, he comes up to me, he goes, uh, polish your boots. Why aren't they polished? I'm like, cause I was under the ambulance. So I didn't even have time to go from my ambulance to my locker and he was in my face. And from that day on, he just decided that he was going to be out in my business but all the other guys wanted to mentor me. So it was like, so I'd always hand up a can of polish to hand this guy. And then when I outranked him, I walked up to him and I said, nice boots, buddy. You know, so full circle, right? But yeah, it, when it comes to the mentorship, I've got troops that work for me as privates and corporals and I taught them their leadership. They're a higher rank than I am, you know, all these years later. I'm super proud of it. I'm still gonna give them the gears when I see them at the mess and everything we're drinking. But they have made it so much further. Can you imagine a world, Teresa, the police, and JP, with the Army where nobody mentored anybody and mm. nobody actually helped anybody get further? How nah. stupid would that be? Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Teresa, I got a question for you. Uh, while you were a detective, uh, if there's – that you can share, right? Uh, if there's any specific case that you took on as a detective – that was either crazy as hell or is your case that you're more proud of that you were able to close? Um, you know, and what was it? I've never been asked this question before, actually. That's so weird. Even like from my family or even any of my friends. So that's a crazy question. Um, so not even when I was a detective, I, I, I'm going to, because that all of that was amazing, but I feel like the one case that sticks out with me the most um, would have been, oh, I can't remember the year it was, but I was back at the sheriff's office still. And we were working a um, lot of different gang crime, uh, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, money trafficking with some big gangs out of like the Minneapolis area. Um, for us kind of that's where it started or that's where it was headed and it would come to us on the reservation and um 
the drug task force, they were kind of doing their own thing in the background, but like I worked the night shift and everybody, like I was, I was just the shit. And I'm going to, I'm going to just prop myself up there on that little thing on, the, on my, but I was the shit at night. Like people knew if you wanted to get shit done, like Teresa was the one that do it. So I remember just one night I got a call and it said, Hey, where are you at? And I said, well, I'm, this is where I'm at. And they said, cool, I need you to stay there. You're going to have a car coming your direction um, at some point. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just sitting there and then I don't, not even really sure what's going on. But then all of a sudden dispatch comes over and they're like, Hey, you know, where are you at? And I'm like, this is where I'm at. They're like, Hey, we have a 911 caller on the phone. Uh, she says she's driving this direction on County road four and she is being harassed. Uh, someone's like, uh, hitting her as she's driving like he's ramming the back of her car um afraid for her life she's got kids in the car everybody's screaming like where are you i'm like I- i'm there i, I can see, like I- as soon as they come around that corner i'll see him and um so i'm just sitting there and i, I have my phone down at this one because i'm like whatever they've got going on the side they can wait i've got a 911 call coming in all of a sudden this car just flies by me and i'm like shit this shit's fucking happening. Like, and I, you know, I've already, <laughs> I've already on like, all right, I got the car. Can I get some backup this way? I mean, this car is going like 75, 80 and a 55. And then all of a sudden I see the suspect car that they're talking about. And, you know, they've, she, they've got witnesses calling in at the time too. Dispatch like, yeah, hey, we've got witnesses saying like they, they're swerving all the road, ramming this car. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, I got it. I'm going to bring my lights are on, go to, uh, go to get my lights on to stop them doesn't stop doesn't stop and I'm like here we go we got a pursuit so I'm just like I'm jack because I love that kind of stuff like maybe happy just to get at least one a week like that was oh that was just warms your heart so you know I'm just like you know 912 900 I'm in pursuit I'm you know this direction on county road four I need some backup now and they're like cool you got the suspect vehicle yep I'm giving the license plates Finally, all of a sudden, like, there's, I see our task force cars pull up, and I'm like, shit, this is all connected. So we just end up doing a felony stop and get get the guys out, and lo and behold, get them arrested. I go to talk to the victim. Here comes to find out she was a major um, witness for the prosecution on the drug tap drug trafficking was actually ends up being uh the state of minnesota's largest rico case yes so i was a part of that and then it all kind of played together with my with me being able to go talk to her at her residence and get statements from her led basically within like a couple of weeks not only my department uh but the tribal department i mean almost, I think there was like 17 police departments in the state of Minnesota involved. I'd have to pull up my, I clipped my little article about this because I was so happy about it. I think there were 17 police departments involved in this case that all um, coordinated to put boots through doors all at the same time and run um, search warrants and arrest warrants for all of the, uh, the criminals in this case. All of them were arrested and I got to go to federal court in Minneapolis, Minnesota to testify against them. Man, it was my best freaking testimony of my career. It was so amazing. They all got, 
I mean, I'd have to pull up the article, but and just because it's I've had so much happen in the years like that. But that's what I remember of it. And uh, I, I loved it. It was it was amazing. So that was my that was my little fun case that I got to be on. Yeah. So, Teresa, uh, since you said that this one girl was the one of the main witnesses for the prosecution, uh, we can safely say here that you technically saved the prosecution's case. Yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that, that's yeah. pretty awesome. And, you know, it, it's, it's crazy because why was that person, person not under protection knowing that they were a witness in such a big case like that, you know? But, you know, who knows? Who knows what was going on in the background? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, I mean, I honestly think like if um, I wasn't at that right spot at the right time, we probably would have been dealing with a murder. And if not a murder, severe domestic violence of sorts because they did know each other. So um, it, it would have been one or the other. And I, I was just at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Theresa, and uh, so now fast forward a little bit more after all that, then uh, uh, for what I can read is that 2018, uh, you stopped your career as law enforcement, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, and, uh, and uh, if you can share, uh, there's any specific reason why? Yeah, it was a combination of things. So um, I left Alaska. I got divorced and moved moved back to my hometown area, Fargo, North Dakota. Um, and I, I took a position there, be close to family. Couldn't afford, there's no way being single in Alaska, even as a detective, I would have been able to afford to live there. Made more sense just to move home um, and have my friends and family around. So I, I ended up taking a position before I even moved back and I was hired. Like I flew in for an interview from Alaska and I was hired same day. Um, took a polygraph a couple days later, passed my polygraph and got introduced to the team and everything sounded, seemed real good with the team. When I first met them, I said, okay, you know, I'm any X amount of time, got everything moved back from Alaska, started the PD. Things started good. Like I was pretty familiar with the law. It was pretty similar to pretty similar to Minnesota laws, um, where I spent most of my career, majority of my career, and um, life was good. Like I was working the night shift again. I mean that sucked. You know I wasn't a detective. I was back on the road. Whatever. Like it is what it is. I still get to be out helping people, doing what I love. And I started to. Um, I have a very strong. I just put this out there. If nobody hasn't realized this yet, I have a very strong personality very strong like i come off like <laughs> nate's like oh wait meet her in person <laughs> yeah so no i literally um i have the strong personality and i most people i guess once you know me and, and get to talk to me know like i'm really not a bitch i'm just i know what i want i know what i'm doing i'm gonna get it like i, I i'm not gonna drag anybody else through the mud to get there i'm gonna build you up take you with me um i just very this is who I am. Like I am a man. I, I just say, I, I do this a lot when I talk to people about how I feel about stuff. Cause I get so passionate. And, um, when I started working, I, that's how I was. I'm like, man, what are you doing? Like that's some bullshit. And I should be able to call out my partners for things like that. Uh, I I've always been able to do that. I've been building hash out things. Well, word got around that I was going to apply for a SWAT team. Was the thing, and, I, and this is where I, this is my point of view on this whole situation is that word got out that I was going to apply for SWAT and 
um, there's one guy at this department that, uh, I don't know, wanted to compare dick sizes with me, but wanted to do it secretively, like not let anybody know that he was comparing dick sizes with me, but still compare dick sizes with me. And I worked hand in hand with him and, uh, it kind of all, it, it, I don't even know where it, where it really began for like the, when it got bad, this one person, needless to say, um, our jurisdiction changed in our area and, uh, our jurisdiction got kind of closed in. So we, some of the roads that we would normally, uh, do traffic stops on and things like that were eliminated. And so I studied this thing. So I knew what the hell was going on. And my partner that night who I've worked with for the two years, um, I make a traffic stop. My partner rolls up behind me like they do. And I'm sitting there at this point. I'm like already writing a citation for just a bunch of bullshit, to be honest with you, just to kill some damn time till seven in the morning. And uh, comes up to the window and he's like, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, all right, cool. I'll just hang back here then. And I continue to like to work, do the citations on this computer. I say write it because I used I started out writing citations and I was now it's turned to computers and took me forever to learn this anyway so i'm sitting there struggling to write this and it takes longer than expected because this whole new computer thing finally just let the guy go i'm like here's your ticket i'm like just you know get your car pick your car up tomorrow blah 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 and then we all pull off i clear my call and all of a sudden i i get a phone call from my sergeant who's a female and she says hey i need you to come to the office I said, all right cool i'll be up there on my way make a couple laps, get up to the office. And, uh, she's sitting there with this guy and his back is towards me. And he's just on the internet, just scrolling the internet, like not, not doing anything, not working, just scrolling the internet. And she's like, Hey, um, so that stop that you just made was illegal. And I said, Oh, it was. And she said, yeah, it was out of our jurisdiction. And I said, no, it wasn't. And she said, no, no, it, it was out of our jurisdiction. So I need you to call that guy back and just let him know that that ticket's voided and just quash it, make it good, make it go away. Whatever. Call him quick. Hey, don't worry about that ticket. Go ahead and just rip that up. And then I'm still sitting in the office and I'm like, I, I think you're wrong. And I said, matter of fact, I know you're wrong. And she, she's kind of got a little lippy, kind of got stern with me. And I said, no, you're wrong. And she just gave me this look, but wouldn't like listen to me, like listen to why I thought she was wrong. She just started to. And at that point is when I was like, this is it. And I said, this motherfucker. And I pointed, I'm like, this motherfucker over here scrolling on the goddamn fucking internet. I said, that's my fucking partner. I said, if he wants to come up here and fucking tattletale on me, go right ahead. But you should have said something to me when I was on this motherfucking traffic stop. You should have said, hey, Teresa, look, I, we might just want to stop right here. Let's look to make sure that you're in the right position to be, to be writing this citation. I said, instead, this fucker sat here for over 30 minutes with his lights on and watched me write this fucking ticket. And I said, and then what's he do? He wants to come compare dick sizes and come run and tell his fucking sergeant instead of being a man about it. And just telling his partner that he's working with. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'm like, no, I'm fucking sick of it. I'm, you know, at this point, I've already, it's kind of already let up. Just a little bullshit with this, this one guy in particular. I said, I'm, I'm sick of it. I said, no, pull up. 
let's do it. And I grab the book and I pull it out and I fucking highlight the map. And I'm like, that, that. And she looks and she's like, that's where you were at. And I'm like, ma'am, that's where I was at. Yes, ma'am. I was right there. That's where I called in the dispatch. And she's like, well, that's our jurisdiction. And I said, look there, there you fucking go, motherfucker. I said, instead of being a partner, instead of being my partner, you decided to try to get me in trouble and look where we're fucking at. Now I'm all heated up and amped up. I'm like, I'm fucking done with you. Fuck you. You know, I left. I just went and continued to do my work. Whatever. He got out of a free ticket. So, and so, um, a short time later, not a short time, probably a year later, um, this is the, this was really like kind of the demise of, of this department and me just kind of going our separate ways. My daughter's like two, two months, two months before she's turned 17. And it's, it's, uh, maybe she wasn't even, it, like, it was like, it had to be more than two months, whatever. We were, we were going on a fucking cruise. It was a booze cruise from uh, Florida over to the Bahamas, just a mother daughter trip. I worked the night shift till 7am. She, uh, she got dropped off at the PD cause the air, the airport was literally 10 minutes from the PD. So we just drove that morning. Well, it's a blizzard all night. It's blizzarding. I worked the night shift. We get there. We're de- like, got delayed, delayed, delayed till 1pm. Finally get out, get to Florida, like at eight o'clock at night. And I'm exhausted because I work the night shift. So we go to Bubba Gumps. It's like right across my right right across the hotel in Miami. And because um, my daughter's like, I want to go to Bubba Gumps. I'm like, okay, cool, let's go. So we're sitting there, we're sitting outside, and I have a drink. I don't even know what it's called. It's got a beer, like the ones with the beers tipped upside down in them. You know, do you guys know what these are? Yeah, I know. It's, it's some time of mar- margarita beer or something like that. Yeah, so I'm drinking one of those. Well, she gets um, a Bubba Gums cup that like lights up on the bottom and shoots it. And it's she's just drinking like a slushy, right? Well, uh, I take a picture of her and, and I said uh, to, to, I posted it on Facebook. Um, I don't remember what the caption was like, long day of traveling, dinner and drinks with my, with my mini me. And um then she sees the the waiter come by and he's got these uh, water glasses that are like stacked. So it's like one here, one here, one here. So they look like they're off even or uneven. And she's like, oh my God. And he's like, do you want to hold it? And so she got to hold this water glass. So it was like three or four tall. And I took a picture of it, you know, posted on Facebook. Of course, you know, we're just having a good time. Well, the next day we get on this cruise ship and we're, we're, we're exhausted. And so, I'm drinking. When you get on the cruise ship, you get like little drinks, you know, and you can, some are virgin, some are not, da, 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 da. Well, I took a, they took a picture of us holding our little drinks with our, with the background. And I'm like, oh, who's cruising with my mini me? And then I took a picture of her with like a glass of water uh, on the cruise. She was sleeping on her stomach. And then I'm like holding up my beer, like can't hang with mama bear, you know, just shit like this. But I had all of my coworkers blocked. My shit was on lockdown at that time. So actually, I think this was like October, end of November or something, because all of a sudden, I'm months go by, months go by, and months, like four months go by. Just get done working the night shift, and I, I had an hour commute home in the morning. I'm rolling into my house at 8 a.m., and uh, I get an email from my, I don't even know what he was, to be honest with you, 
sergeant, lieutenant, whatever he was acting or trying to act to be. I, I'm not sure. But this big, long thing that's like you um, are, you know, are put on um, paid administrative leave for actions unbecoming of a police officer. And I like immediately call my husband, Travis, and I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, what did you do? And I'm like, babe, I have no fucking idea. Like, I just finished a shift. It went well. I'm like, I didn't violate anybody's rights. I didn't kick any doors in. Like, I had a really good night. And I'm like, I have never in my 12, 13 years at this point have ever, ever, and all the crazy shit that I've done as a cop, ever been written up. And then to be accused of something unbecoming of a Sorry, I might have and cut cut out. Um, uh, yeah, no problem. And they, they they didn't even tell you in that email what it was. They just told you mm -hmm. unbecoming. No, they just said unbecoming and that they're doing an investigation. So I'm like racking my brain, and I'm just like I have no idea, like no idea, like never in my entire career, and I've done some crazy shit <laughs> that I probably should have been written up for. And I, I'm just out of shock. So I immediately get on the, like, this wasn't a union department. So I immediately get on the phone with an attorney and I'm like, he's like, oh, huh, what? And he was all about this. So I'm like, yeah, I have to like go in on Friday to, to go meet with these guys. And so I end up going, getting around this round table and they're all guys, just these guys, all the higher ups at eight o'clock at night. And they're all sitting there with their folders and they're all dressed to the nines. And I walk in and I'm just like, well, shit, who did I kill? And they all just kind of stared at me like, this shit ain't funny. I'm like, okay. <sighs> Sit down. They're like, um, is there anything you want to talk to us about? I'm like, I don't know. Are you trying to interrogate the detective over here? Like, this shit doesn't work for me. So tell me why I'm here. We're not, no, we're not going to play this game. Tell me why I'm here. And they open up a folder and the first photo, and I, I got these photos too, because someday they will go in a nice book so I can call everybody out on their bullshit. First photo is me standing alone with a Corona in my hand in my bikini by the ocean. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm hot. They're like, not funny. <laughs> like, okay. They're like, where were you? And I'm like, oh, I was, we were in the Bahamas or somewhere in the Caribbean at this point. Cool. They flip over the next one, and it's the picture of my daughter with uh, me with my drink, and then her with that little sparkly Bubba Gump cup slushy thing in front of her. You have anything to say about this picture? I'm like, yeah, dude, man, I had to work that night, and I got delayed till one o'clock. Finally, get there. My daughter's like, let's go to Bubba Gump's. I'm like, yeah, fuck it, let's go to Bubba Gump's. Get to Bubba Gump's. I'm like, I had a drink. My daughter had a slushy, and they're like, okay. They flip out the next one and they're like, what about this one? And it's her holding this three glasses of water, clearly clear glasses of water. Do you have anything to say about this? I'm like, my daughter was thirsty, needed some water. Like, I'm like wondering what the fuck is happening here? Like, and then they flip over another one and it's like my daughter and I in our bikinis. And I'm like, why are you, why are you showing all my bikini pics to everybody in the department? 
Like, yeah, that's kind of weird. Okay. And then, of course, and then my underage daughter, you're, I mean, you're showing these to other, like, okay, whatever. I mean, I posted them on Facebook, so whatever, clearly. But what what's the deal? And they're like, so this is the deal. Your daughter was drinking, wasn't she? There's booze in that glass. I'm like, those are fucking glasses, clear glasses of water. Well, what about that slushy? What about that slushy? And I'm like, it's a fucking kid's slushy. Like, what, what, I'm like, what is going on? They're like, well, somebody got a hold of your Facebook page. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I, I was just a smart ass too. I'm like, oh, yeah. You mean this guy? And they're like, well, we can't see. I'm like, I fucking know it was this guy. I'm like, I have this motherfucker blocked. I'm like, he's probably set up a fake account and has probably like moved himself over as like my sister's husband's friend, something or other that's on my Facebook whatever i'm not doing anything They're like well this is very unbecoming of you uh because you know you do write a lot of minor citations being that you work close to the campus and how would you think it would be if people got wind that you were allowing your daughter to drink but yet going to court to put other people's kids like write them citations for that i'm like first of all there was no alcohol in there and they just kept pressing me They're like there was i'm like it's fucking water i'm like and second of all it doesn't matter I'm like, really? I was not even in the U.S. at the time. Thank you. Yeah, at this there, time, there like, was, was, there was, and at that point, I tell them, okay, prove it. Yeah, no, and that's exactly what I said. I'm, I'm done. No, uh, you know, I mean, I even started crying because I was so frustrated. Not crying because I was sad, but like I had no other way to express my emotion because I was so pissed off that out of that X range. amount of years, yeah. I have never, ever been accused, ever. I've never been accused of anything that was not nothing but professional. I've never been written up. And any anybody, even the guys that I've pissed off in my career, would tell you today that they would they would go on a shootout with me, that I would be their partner, like their top pick, still to this day. But this, that you're telling me because I went on a cruise, and you think there's booze, and you got some bikini pics, and then they... Yeah, so ends up they drop it a week later. My attorney reaches out to them. They're like, "We're fucking sue. We're we're going. You want? You, what do you want to do? What do you want? You want to make some money off them?" I'm like, "No, I just want to go to work. Like, I want to be known. Like, this isn't my this isn't my permanent file. I have nothing in my permanent file. Never have. I have good shit. I mean, I've delivered babies. I mean, I've got you know stork wings in there. I've got good shit in there. I've never and to put something bad in my in my file because this guy over here." thinks that his dick is bigger than mine or what he's doing is just really being a catty ass woman is what he's doing. And he's, I threaten him. So he needs to knock me down a couple notches is how I took it the entire time I was at this department. Like, yeah, you just want to knock me down because I'm better than you. I'm more stern than you. I am, I am me. And you wish that you could be me and you're not. So this is how it all ended. And so they finally call me back like a week later and they're like, you know, we're just going to drop everything. Um, but you are going to have to take a, we're going to send you to a social media class that you're going to have to go to this training for social media. And then you're going to have to come back to the department and teach all of the offers, uh, all of the officers on appropriate use of social media. And I said, Oh, you don't think it was enough already that you embarrassed me and took away all my cases that I was working and then told my coworkers that I was suspended for some bullshit took my gun, my badge, put a letter in my file, 
now you want me to go to a training class on social media to teach the rest of the department? I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. And like, well, that's, that, that's what you're going to do to come back to work. I said, well, well, how long do I have for this? They're like, you have one year to complete the training and, and do a PowerPoint and teach my department or your department on appropriate use of social media, especially as a law enforcement. And I said, okay, oh my God, well. you know, you, you, I, I'm, I'm petty. So I probably would have gone full intelligence sergeant, back, you know, back in the day. And I would go and start stalking every single Absolutely. Person, social media and then when i put my class for social media i pull their pictures up and i'd be like that's what not to put on social media their lieutenant and by the way that's you doing a line of coke at the club not the right thing to do there sergeant you know i just start throwing them all under the bus oh my god or beating your wives like they all got accused of doing, but it all got covered up, you know, fight with, you know, just, oh, yeah. Oh, God. No. So what I did is I just, I, I my husband, Travis, I talked to him and I said, he says, what do you want to do? And I said, fuck, I am so fucking sick of this shit. I am always up against a man. I am always banging heads with the next fucking man that wants, you know, doesn't want me to be at the level that they're at. They don't want me to be. It's just the every almost the every phone time. out of it, huh? It takes the fun out of it. It takes the fun out of doing your your job, your work. You know? Oh, absolutely! Like and, I didn't. I go ahead. Um, from my my experience, I don't know how JP's was because um, different militaries, but I've had mil uh, women work for me in the military and civvy side. Uh, like doesn't matter what their sexual orientation was, but they were women. And when you see the struggles that they would have from other individuals that carried themselves as good leaders, but as soon as it was a woman in their section or platoon or whatever, you'd see this mindset just totally change. And I'm like, what are you doing? They can out-soldier you. Stop being a dick. Just give them the chance to prove themselves and treat them just like any other troop. As soon as they put that uniform on, I don't care what color of the rainbow you lick. I don't care how you pee. Do your job and I'll assess you appropriately and I'll mentor you the same way if you're receptive to it. And that's what it's supposed to be about. And I don't want anybody listening to the show to go, oh, it's the same way for all women. Men are bad and all that. There is dickheads and I've seen it and there is good guys and good leadership and good women and all this. And there's also women that come in there on a side note to flip the, the dynamic. When I was going through battle school, there's this one girl coming through shaved her head like gi jane and was all like i'm gonna be the first female patricia blah 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 blah, banging all the guys on the weekend that she could get through but during the week she was like i'm gonna be amazing and the other girls were looking at her like we want nothing to do with you okay because there's a couple other girls in the course and when she was going off in front of one of the instructors um going, oh, I'm going to be the first female Patricia. They're like, um, you realize that we have already had one and she's a major and she went through seven years ago. Next week, that chick was gone. Just quit. Okay. So driven for her cause, right? That she was going to make it. So that dynamic of bad women, bad men and good and stuff, there is a good balance and it really sucks that you had to go against that clown and i've had it as a man i've had same thing where somebody is 
dead set and intimidated to just that they want to destroy everything you build up because in their head, they want to be you, but they can't be you. But I think secretly they want to be you, but also like be you and stuff. And they don't know how to express it. I think, that's what, I think that's there's what some I dudes. On Thursday, March 31st, Let's Walk It Out will be kicking off its second annual 222-mile rock march in North Carolina. Raising awareness from Fayetteville to Camp Lejeune and back, Let's Walk It Out is dedicated to suicide prevention and overcoming the stigma often associated with PTS, all while benefiting charities committed to veteran wellness. Ten days, ten legs, but unlimited potential to be part of the solution. Volunteer, sponsorship, and participant opportunities can be found at letswalkitout.org. Together, let's work it out. Let's walk it out. No, and I agree with you. Love Thursday, and hate are a fine line. Yeah. No, go I ahead, agree Teresa. I agree 100%. Like, this is not bashing on men at all. I had extremely no. good mentor at Mike Beckner. I mean, he was my mentor when I was a detective. I had great field training officers when I was at Monoma County Sheriff's Office. Brad Tyke, like, to this day, like, I love these guys. I still talk to them to this day. And then I go, like, I feel like I worked my entire career and I was hoping to make a change or even, like, get there to move, like, just continue to build my career. And that just ruined it for me. The That particular person, that department ruined it for me for the reason being, like, where was the partnership? Like, I experienced such good partnership for the last 12, 11, 12, 13 years Never would I have ever, no, nobody would have ever questioned my uh, abilities as a police officer, as a parent, that I was committing illegal things with letting my daughter drink, which is 100% legal in Minnesota anyways, to drink at home with me. So whatever. It just felt like, at what point, like, does this stop? Like, I, I'm done. I'm I'm done fighting you. I'm I'm done fighting for this cause. I mean, this is when all of the riots started happening. What year was a 16, 17? Yeah. Kind of when it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And we were getting alerts on our computers at night. Like, don't sit alone by the side of the road and, and um, do your reports anymore. And I, I was, I'd have some really tough conversations with my family, with my daughter, with my husband. Like, you know, is this worth the pain that I'm getting? Like, I enjoy my job a lot, but I got douchebag that I have to work with constantly that nothing happens to him. I've got the world that's starting to fucking fall apart right now. Is all of this really worth my happiness? Even though I love my job, I love what I do. Yeah, it didn't work out. I, I literally three days prior to having to give a go to a training and teach my department uh, what it was like to use social media as a law enforcement officer and the appropriate way to do it. I put in my notice and I said, I will, I will be leaving this department. Um, I will not be going to this training. And the reason that I'm leaving is not because of this training. Uh, it's because that you've ruined how I, how I view law enforcement and how I uh, have pictured my career to go and my, my camaraderie it's ruined. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this with you guys anymore. <laughs> and that's where it ended. Well, not only that, not only that, Teresa is at that point, can you really trust any of those guys to have your back in the streets? I mean, yeah. think about that. If they're willing to backstab you like that in, in the admin side, just imagine what they're willing to do when you're in the streets or not to yeah. do, just no, leave you hanging. The, that's the craziest thing. Like we had a, I'm, I'm keeping you guys extra long. I'm going to keep talking because I, dude, we had a, um, 
we had a murder happen a week prior to like me quitting or so a week or so before a guy broke into a house um killed the owners of the house set the house on fire we get there and it's um allegedly just a house fire but upon entering the house there was dead people in there right figure out what's going on we know who the suspect is get out a bolo on him he's been popping up kind of where i patrol at quite often he's popping up they actually at this point because of everything that was happening in the world they started requiring people to ride twos officers ride double in cars i wasn't riding double with who i was work with where i was at we didn't ride doubles like it that's not what was happening um but we got a call it was right before i was to get off work one morning and um that actually that particular night we rode doubles for some odd reason and um we get a call right before it's closing time for me and call says hey caller says hey that possibly that murder suspect but his name is this has been seen and i'm like fuck that's like right here and i start looking and i'm in the passenger seat because you know i'm in the passenger seat and i'm like what the fuck I'm like, that's him. That's him walking down the fucking sidewalk. Stop the car. Stop the car. This guy would not stop the car. He wouldn't stop. He's like, no, you will not get out of this car. I'm like, stop the fucking car. A murder suspect is walking right in front of me. And he stops the car. And I, he's like, don't you dare cross that street. Don't you dare. And he, like, he was like pointing at me. Don't you fucking dare pull out your gun. Don't you fucking dare. And, he's, and I'm like, what? The? And I'm like. Well, and that's that's dangerous because that makes you hesitate. Yeah, because I'm like, wait, my job—it's murder suspect. You're telling me no as a supervisor, whatever. You just have more seniority. I'm in the car with you, and you're—he's literally yelling at me. Don't you fucking take! Don't you fucking take out that gun! Don't you go across the street! I'm so fucking conflicted because I'm going, man. Do you know how many murder suspects I've arrested? I mean, I've kicked down doors. I mean, I've been in some gnarly shit. And this guy is like literally 25 feet, 30 feet from me, just fucking high as fuck, just walking down the street like his shit don't stink. And he doesn't need, he doesn't even know why the cops are looking for him. Could not fucking believe it. I'm like, done, done. This is not law enforcement. You guys, what is happening? You guys are security guards. No, no, not in my lifetime would I ever be told to not pull up my gun it was a, it was yeah it was sad to leave because i left really my best parts of my life i felt but it was it was okay so now that you're not longer in law enforcement and i can tell by the way that you talk and the way that you talk about your work that you freaking loved it right yes so now that you, this is not what you do day in and day out How do you feel? Um, there's something missing. I don't enjoy going to work every day. And I'm not going to say what I do now. I, I work in an office. I've had quite a few jobs since I got out of law enforcement. Quite a few. Um, but I've, I've switched jobs about once a year trying to find what's my best fit. And nothing. <laughs> I am like, I am on the struggle bus. Like, I'm not happy. My husband's even like, you haven't been happy since you left law enforcement. I don't know what I can do to make you happy. You need you need to figure this out. You need to find your passion. I'm like, 
I'm like, I don't know, man, this is what I did. This is my entire adult life. Literally my entire adult life. Since I was able to carry that gun, I was a cop. And now I haven't been for three, almost four years now. I don't, my literal, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, I'm a good leader. I can lead people. I can talk to people. I can teach people, but man, I cannot. No, I, I, it's missing. Something's missing. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. think that you feel the same thing that a lot of us feel when we leave, you know, the military, right? Or And I know friends that spend 30 years in law enforcement and they get out and they're missing something, you know? That, now, they know it was time to get out, right? It's like, they I can't stay there forever, but they're still missing something. Uh, are, are you... <clears throat> Uh, are, do, do you have any kind of organizations close to you that, that you can, that you have reached out to, or you can reach out to and talk to them about, you know, uh, hey, listen, law enforcement, maybe some foundation or something like that, that helps you find a job or, or, uh, some kind of passion that kind of like fills you in or, or meets the criteria for what you want to do. Because a lot of times it's that. You know, we find good jobs. It just don't meet our criteria. <laughs> yes. Do so you don't um, have anything like that close to you or anything that you you can reach out to? Um, not that I'm aware of. You know, I, I, I do. I've had some people that have said, like, you know, I'll, I'll you know, apply for this position. Just like, for instance, some de- uh, detectives positions um, for like AG's office. Because I'm, I'm amazing uh, detective investigator. And then I'm like, OK, I applied. And then there's like nothing. I've reached out to like the person that told me to apply that works there. And I've reached out to the company or the, the industry and there I get nothing. And then I don't know. I, I, I've, you know, I've been told you're overqualified. You're, you know, this, you're that. It's like, what am I? Am I over underqualified? Or just tell me like what, just because I'm overqualified doesn't mean I'm not going to be good at the job. Doesn't mean I'm asking for 200,000. No, 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 like, no. No, Teresa, I learned something, uh, you know, I, I got my own company, so yeah. I do a lot of, I do a lot of contracts and stuff like that. And I have sat down with a lot of high level recruiters in the industry. Right. And, uh, I can tell you this, there's no such thing as overqualified. Do you meet the minimum requirements? That's all they look at. Right. What happens is this, Teresa, and this is the sad truth, and it came from somebody who works for Fortune 500 companies, and he's done a lot of hiring, and he told me straight up, JP, let me tell you the way this works. You meet the minimum requirements, right? The problem is the person that you're going to be working for, or maybe one above that person, is not nearly as qualified as you are. So Mm -hmm. if you come in in this lower position, and you start doing an amazing job, right? You're already making them look bad because people will be like, why you couldn't do that when, when you were there, you know? And, and they feel threatening that eventually you're going to take their job, right? Instead of they should be saying, wow, I got this guy in that position. He's pretty badass. He's better than me. So now you're going to be smart. I'm going to have him make me look good. Because that's the way you should be thinking, right? So, because at the end of the day, who's sitting in front of the boss on the top? You still are the one, right? So you sit there, you're like, yeah, my team is great. I got these guys doing this, this and that. They make you look good. All you got to do is use them properly, right? But yeah, a a lot of overqualified is not a thing. It's just you're threatening somebody else's ego or job by being, having more qualifications than they do. That's all it is. 
Probably. That's what I so, deal with now. Like that's what I deal with just now and just working dead end jobs for me. I shouldn't even say dead end jobs that don't fill my soul up. Doesn't fill my cup up every day. I dread getting up to go to work. I deal with the same thing with, with where I'm at now. Yeah. And that's why so many of us start our own companies. Um, JP and I have had this conversation many times where we run into like, cause of the security sides and stuff like that, where we run into it where people two, three ranks or levels higher are intimidated. Don't want us there. JP's got his own kick-ass company. I'm really good at call of duty. Like we all have our skill sets. There's always people that are better than us. Um, you know, it is what it is, but that is why most of us go and do our own businesses because there's nobody to put us down or push us down or stop us that's intimidated by us because we can just finally have that uh, control over our path and destiny and purpose, right? Even if it's just making soaps or pens or uh, ammo bags or whatever, you still have that positive control and influence over it. And I do know uh, Teresa was telling me that when I was when I was meeting her and we've talked a few times, she's working with a group called Subtle Warrior that's trying to put her together with some mentoring stuff. So she was telling me about that. So she does have some assets going on now. Um, I know people Good. are going to write in. Our three listeners are going to write in and be like, listen, we got to take care of her. She is working with a couple groups already. So we're okay. You know, we've got her. She's part of the group now. We, you know, we've got her in there. So. And Teresa, you know, it, it's funny that uh, you mentioned Travis, right? Uh, Travis is your husband, right? Did I say that? Yes. Right? I was going to say Tim, and then your husband is, was going to listen to this and go like, who the hell is Tim? <laughs> <laughs> no, so awesome. Travis, you know, how he said, I don't know what to do to make you happy. And, mm -hmm. and I think in the, our latest podcast, which just dropped today, uh, this one is going to take a few days to drop, but... Uh, the one that just dropped today, we heard Tiffany when she said uh, that at some point she realized she was not the problem, right? It was, she was not the problem. He, her husband was not mad at her or the kids. It was that he was struggling internally with himself. So I hope that if Tra Travis, Travis, well, actually, if, you're, if you're out there listening, uh, man, bro, it's not your fault. There's the... She, she is not mad at you, I think. Uh, you know, it's not your fault that, you know, uh, it's going to take her a while to figure it out. A lot of times you can do it quickly. Sometimes it takes years. Hold, hold on, JP. I'm getting a message from the past and the future here. Oh on Saturday night, <laughs> Travis got that information and he had beers with me and he, he realized that. And this week has been a very supportive week for Teresa. Because he realizes that all he has to do is just be there yeah. to receive her her day and to squeeze her bum and give her kisses. That's it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, I'm sure a lot of words came out over beers this last weekend. But yes, he's always <laughs> been he's always been super supportive. But I, I get angry with myself because I feel like I should be doing more for myself, and I think it re re deflects or reflects out onto him like he's not doing enough for me and it's like this has nothing to do with you like i just need to fucking figure out what's happening where can i go what can i do i need i need support because i don't know what to do i don't know where to go i go to indeed what's indeed getting me indeed's getting me the same shit the same cycle now Teresa, i can tell you this uh don't get frustrated uh now i, I know that some people do because they they need money right they got finance problems that they need to fix but what i will tell people all the time is like 
if you financially, I'm not saying like you're super stable, but what I say, if you're financially okay, right? Uh, don't get frustrated. You can pay your bills, continue to apply for the things that you want, continue to search because uh, I always say that things happen for a reason, right? Maybe that AG job is not, it was not for you. It was going to go bad. Maybe the other job that you applied to, something bad was going to happen there. And you know, there's a reason why you didn't get it. Thank God, right? Uh, so I'm saying eventually what is for you is going to come if you can hold up until then. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm telling you it's going to happen. Uh, but it's going to be frustrating on the way there. But sometimes you just got to say, you know what? It's happening for a reason. I'm alive today. I got my daughter. I got my husband. I got food on the table. I'm good right now, right? It's like tomorrow is a different day. We'll figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am blessed that everything that you said is actually what's happening. Like I am, we are financially good. Like he's the biggest, he's like, just quit your damn job and be happy. So like, I don't have to work. I don't. He He's very supportive when it comes. He's like, quit your job. He's like, this is not bringing joy to your life. Quit now. Quit. You need to write your book. Do something. Do this. Do that. Go ahead. Right there. So when you were a kid and a teenager, you, you referred to it as making a mistake or fucking up. You didn't. You started your path a different way. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have an opportunity now to take a break, to stop running in circles in this madness. Not, not, not using the word of madness. Like we're all crazy. Cause I was tested and I failed that one. So where did I pass? doesn't matter. You have an opportunity to take a break, take the break. And like JP saying, let everything fall into place and flow and start writing your book. Start doing that. That will take your mind away from whatever you'll disassociate. You'll feel better. You'll be lighter. You'll be more receptive for whatever's coming next from the universe. That's, the best way I can explain this is when you get the chance to take the break, take the break, you're supported, everything's there and let it just fall in there. Like JP's told that to many people. And when they actually take that advice and we watch them and we track them, you can see everything just kind of go right. And then they're ready to take the load and the work for whatever's coming next down the road. It could be a month, it could be six months, it could be six years. Doesn't matter. Take the break, enjoy it. Cause you've been going since you were, what 17 you said yeah i mean yeah i've had i've been working since i was 14 yes and on my own since i was so take the damn break 16. woman i'm sweating just take the damn break no it's so hard but that's why you need to take the break because your body is telling you you do you've got a gorgeous ass husband beautiful mm-hmm. dogs the opportunity to do it just take a deep breath and let it ha- just take a deep breath and lean into it you know, Teresa, I wouldn't say take a break, like not do anything, right? I would say take a break so you can take time for yourself. And, and that could be just taking a break and saying, you know what? I'm going to start in my mind, in my head, as I'm walking the dogs in the park or whatever. I'm going to start coming up with how am I going to go about writing this book? How do I want to start? Do I start in the end and flow into the beginning? You know, how do I want to do this? Uh, and, and, and slowly working out what you want to do. Because a lot of times what happens is, you know, things are not falling into place. But the reason they're not is because we haven't even given 
giving us a chance to stop and figure out what's going on because we're on the go, on the go. So we're missing so many things because we are on the go. And sometimes if you stop and take a break, your eyes open wider and then you see everything that you were missing. You're like, oh man, I missed that. I missed that. I missed that. Snap. No wonder I'm not getting shit done. (laughs) Yes. So, so yeah, I like- and, and when you write your book and when you write your book, I hope there's a chapter in that book about this episode and the crazy questions that we ask you. And then after that, uh, before you release your book, we need to bring you back in the podcast and talk about it. Oh, for sure. So I guess is, am I putting in my two week notice then or what? Is that, is that what's Hell happening? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey send your email. We already wrote it for you. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, but Teresa, if there's, uh, you know, because we're about to wrap it up here. But, it, you know, from your experience for what you're going through now, uh, there's a lot of law enforcement and first responders out there that either have gone through similar stuff like you that have left the force uh, before they wanted to for X, Y reason, right? Uh, family problems, accident, whatever it was. And then there's always other ones that retire are in the same place that you are right now. But uh, if there's anything positive that you have taken out of all of this and give one piece of advice for all those other fellow officers out there, what would that be? Um, just to do what you enjoy doing and you love don't do what i did and get give up like and struggle to find something just continue to do it um do what you love just do it don't don't wait four years i'm four years in now and still i should listen to my own damn words right i quit doing what i love yeah, so. yeah. right yeah just do what but you, you know love. what? yeah you made the decision at that point and and, and it, it was what you made but now you can help other people by telling them don't stop don't, you know, and that's a good one. Do not let one person or, or one group of leaders destroy what your passion is, you know, because at the end of the day, it might be a few years, but they're going to end up leaving. They ain't going to be there forever. All you got to do is keep keep your head forward, do your job and suck it up, and they're going to end up leaving anyways. Absolutely. All right. Uh, uh, Teresa, uh, we want to thank you for taking the time to come to our podcast, you know, and, and this is amazing because one, uh, uh, not only uh, we don't have a lot of law enforcement, we had a few uh, in our podcast, but uh, your story is really, is really amazing. Uh, the things that you have done in law enforcement to me when I read this, these papers that you send is they're freaking amazing. So we thank you for everything you have done for uh, the citizens, for protecting women, uh, for putting your life in danger and all that good stuff. So really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we hope to have you back in the podcast when, uh, when your book is about to come out. Absolutely. Thanks guys so much for letting me chat your ear off tonight. <laughs> no, no problem. Nate, uh, anything else? All right. No. Uh, so it would be kind of cool to see what her book's going to be about. And, you know, uh, I look forward to seeing what you achieve and I do miss Travis. You know, our beards entwined is amazing. Um, but no, I, I we'll just, be, it's been, what's that? I was like, we'll, we'll be there. We're coming to see you at some point. So we'll still see you. Oh, Your yeah. boyfriend will still be here. But, but it's been, 
I appreciate that. It, but it has honestly been a very um, positive experience. Positive experience for me listening for the struggles that you've gone through because some of them echo some of the behaviors that others have done towards us. And it is reassuring as a former leader and whatever to know that I did right by my troops by not treating them differently because of gender and just treating them by based on their job. So I, I appreciate this opportunity very much for you to sit with JP and I. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Veterans Transition Support Recon Show, VTSR. And remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the only The only video platform that you're going to find us on is Rumble. Yes, that's right. We're not longer uploading to YouTube censoring us because we say bad words on this podcast. So you can find it on Rumble under Veterans Transition Support Recon Show VTSR. And all the links you can find also on the website VTSRpodcast.com. All right. Remember, no matter what you do, guys, no matter what you do, do not cash out.